This week, I speak with Francesca, a trans sex worker from Central America. After last week's episode about sexual assault, my talk with Francesca about her own sexual assault early in life offers someone else's perspective into the matter. The cross yes listener will learn more about Francesca's harrowing story into how the cross-dressing led to her life becoming what it is today. It is another hour-long episode, but if you want to learn more about the gender experience and you find different types of sex interesting, then you're going to enjoy this episode. A bit of warning, this episode dives into a lot about sex and is another not-safe-for-work episode. But if you're still interested, please continue on. All of that, plus we'll talk more about sexual assault and violence in the mainstream media with Chris Brown and my favorite churches in this week's Yas of the Week. This is episode 18. You ready for another one? Welcome to the Cross Yas podcast, the podcast that says yas to everything related to cross-dressing and gender. I'm your woke host, Giselle Mirasol. Take a gaze at my pics on Instagram at Giselle Mirasol and find the podcast there as well at Cross Yas Podcast. I'm a social media fanatic, so tweet me at Twitter and hit the podcast up on Facebook at Cross Yas. That's spelled C R O S S Y A A S. Also, do you have questions or do you want to contact the podcast so you can share your feedback or maybe share your own personal story on the podcast? Well, we got email. Send your lovely words to crossyaspodcast at gmail.com. That's C-R-O-S-S-Y-A-A-S podcast at gmail.com. It's finally May, so break out your NSYNC quotes now. You know. Because, well, it is. Getting warmer out there, so hope you're wearing appropriate clothing. And not anything too revealing, but if you do, that's okay because you're more than your clothes. I also want to thank you again for listening to last week's episode, and if you didn't just yet, you should. I talk about my sexual assault experiences I had as a teenager, and despite being a terrible time in my life, I'm a better person now because of it. I got lots of great reviews and feedback from last week's episode about sexual assault, so I wanted to elaborate on that topic a little bit. Which brings me to talk about the... Yes! ...of the week. One of my favorite bands, Churches, and that's Churches spelled with a V instead of a U, recently posted on Twitter and Instagram their disapproval with Marshmallow, an American DJ, about his collaboration in a new song with Tyga and Chris Brown. Marshmallow recently released a song entitled Here With Me, featuring Churches, that goes... Churches, a band from Glasgow, Scotland, with members Lauren Mayberry, Lane Cook, and Martin Doherty, posted this on their Twitter and Instagram, and I quote, We are really upset, confused, and disappointed by Marshmallow's choice to work with Tyga and Chris Brown. We like and respect Mello as a person, but working with people who are predators and abusers enables excuses and ultimately tactically endorses that behavior. That is not something we can or will stand behind. Chris Brown, the black 29-year-old rapper who Churches alludes to about the person being a predator and abuser, responded with a comment on Church's post with this comment, and I quote, Bunch of losers. These are the type of people I wish walked in front of a speeding bus full of mental patients. Keep groveling over your own insecurities and hatred. I'm black and proud. And I know it hurts that you guys are struggling with life or peace so you're forced to see my success. You aren't even number two. Remember, second place only means you lost first. Ta-ta. Good day, peasants. Chris Brown is a polarizing figure. 
He's a talented singer and dancer that has popular songs like No Air featuring American Idol winner Jordan Sparks, Forever, the popularized wedding song that was even featured during Jim and Pam's wedding on The Office that goes. And his popular song from last year featuring Lil Dicky entitled Freaky Friday. But despite his musical and dancing gifts, he has had a troubled history with law enforcement here in the United States and internationally. He's most infamous for being charged in 2009 with felony assault and making criminal threats against singer Robin Fenty, or as she's most famously known, Rihanna. Rihanna went on Good Morning America in 2011 and spoke out about the abuse done to her by Chris Brown, and she even discussed an incident with Chris Brown which led to Rihanna's face appearing bruised and bloody in leaked photos that surfaced online. He wouldn't tell the truth. So I wouldn't drop it. I wouldn't drop it. I kept saying I couldn't take that he kept lying to me and he couldn't take that I wouldn't drop it because obviously his back was up against the wall. It's the truth is right here in the text message. So it escalated into him being violent towards me and it was ugly. The police report says he continued to drive while they fought. She says he shoved her against the window, at one point bit her, punched her in the left eye. At one point your mouth is filled with blood? Yes. How did you think it was going to end? That's all I kept thinking the whole time. When is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? Chris Brown responded to her Good Morning America appearance with his own Good Morning America interview and spoke with Robin Roberts and responded with, I was wrong for what I did, and I would definitely say that it's not something that I look past or look over. It's something that's really, really touchy, and, um, and like I said, I'm, I'm really sorry for, for what went down and what happened. Some people have doubted your sincerity. Do you really get the severity? Of, of what happened? Of course, 100%. I think, I think what it is when people see me smiling and, and kind of nonchalantly giving answers or, or saying things is, I'm human. Really, I'm like really hurting inside and it, and it really kind of is like devastating to me. Actually, during that interview, Chris Brown actually grew enraged at the Good Morning America crew and it is reported that Chris Brown threw a chair out a window overlooking Times Square where Good Morning America is filmed during a commercial break. He confronted several members of the show's production staff and exited the building shirtless. Chris Brown's other encounters with law enforcement include, but not limited to, another felony assault charge in 2013 against the man refusing to take a photo. In 2016, he was arrested after an hour-long standoff with the police at his home for assault with a deadly weapon. In 2018, he was arrested and charged for felony battery in Palm Beach, Florida, then released on $2,000 bail and earlier this year was accused of rape in Paris, France by a 24-year-old woman but was released after no charges were filed. For you Chris Brown fans out there, look, he's a talented artist. I remember when he came out in 2006 with Run It featuring Jewel Santana and I love that song. 
Plus, Chris Brown was and is still a super talented dancer. And sometimes I'll even play Freaky Friday and listen to it because I love Lil Dicky on that song. And the video is really fun to watch too. You can't argue with Chris Brown's talent. But just because you're talented doesn't mean you can't be an asshole violent abuser. In today's world, with popular singers and artists constantly being in the spotlight, there's going to be people calling you out for shit you've done in the past. Especially if it's a violent past. Yes, Chris Brown has tried to make amends for what he did. Like he's gone to rehab and apologized for his past wrongdoings. And you know what? More power to him. But... Maybe, and just maybe, don't call for more violence towards those who point out the things you've done wrong in the past, cause that's just one more way to make you look like a bigger asshole. If you're already known to be a violent person, maybe don't be violent anymore. Yes, we shouldn't demonize those that want to do better and learn from their mistakes, but demonstrating that you want violence to happen against those who oppose you, I gotta tell ya, not gonna bode well with folks. The bus full of mental patience comment, like what the fuck? Also. What's the mental patience in the bus have to do with anything? These are comments you'd expect a child or an immature teenager to make, not a multimillionaire Grammy award winning soon to be 30 year old artist. Like seriously, grow up man. Chris Brown has a known history of violence and with that comment on the church's Instagram, I'd have to say it's a bit uncalled for. If you want people to respect you and want to admire you, don't be a dick about it. You're making amends for your past mistakes, but maybe don't call out for more violence. Which is unfortunate for churches because they're a very talented group. I've seen them at many music festivals and they put on a great show. Which some people may not get to hear because some people actually want them dead as a result of them commenting about Chris Brown. Lauren Mayberry, a white 31 year old female and lead vocalist of churches, posted on her Instagram this message she got from presumably a Chris Brown fan. This terrible message she posted said, I hope Tyga rapes you, then Chris Brown beats the shit out of you. Then R. Kelly comes and pisses on your white ass. Learn to keep Chris Brown's name out out your gutter trailer trash ass mouth stupid racist white bitch. Yikes. Harsh and extreme, don't you think? And all of this because churches said they don't stand behind working with people who are predators and abusers. Actually, and to clarify, here's Lauren Mayberry at a recent concert at Fortress Festival in Texas, clarifying what the band churches was actually trying to convey with their message they posted. We weren't picking on Chris Brown for the sake of picking on Chris Brown. It was morally dubious decision that happened, but also churches is a band, churches is a business, churches is a brand or whatever that people can buy into, and it has to be honest and it has to be authentic. And we would be really hypocritical if we worked with somebody and didn't say anything about what they did immediately after that fact. When we give money from our headline shows to Girls Rock Camp, when I'm a patron of Rape Crisis Scotland, you can't do that. It's morally incorrect. But we weren't just deciding to pick up Chris Brown for the sake of it. I was like, I don't know, I think that domestic abuse might be wrong. And now I'm going to have to invest in some fucking bulletproof tutus because apparently that does not go down well. Lauren Mayberry has also said that the band has had to up their security because of death threats they've received online, which is unfortunate. Chris Brown has the right to say what he wants, sure, but to call for more violence? Not cool. Please check yourself at the door. And that goes for anyone who calls on violence as a solution. I'm happy that Lauren Mayberry and churches stand up for the right to hold artists and other people accountable, but I'm not happy with people who don't acknowledge that these are known abusers. You want to make yourself better, Chris Brown? Fine. But stop with this violent nonsense. And for those who support Chris Brown? Fine. Listen to his music. But just know that this is a guy with a terrible track record who hasn't shown any signs that he's changed his ways. 
He may continue to better himself, but with the comment that he made to churches about getting hit by a bus, it's just another example that he hasn't changed at all. So my yas of the week goes to churches and their right to speak out against abusers and those who work with known abusers. Yes, what Chris Brown did to Rihanna was 10 years ago, and he has the rights to make amends for what he did. But continuing the narrative of violence with a comment that these types of people should get hit by buses? I mean, come on. I'm done with you, Chris Brown. And I won't listen to Freaky Friday anymore. I'm sorry, little dicky. So to you, Chris Brown, I say, maybe check what you say before you speak. And I'm sorry, but... And that was the yes! of the week. This week, I speak with trans sex worker Francesca from Central America. She tells her amazing story about her sexual assault early in life, which has led to her life today. She talks about her life and her path to becoming a sex worker, and how she deals with it and has dealt with it. She talks about the process and plenty more. She's got a lot to offer this podcast, and her English is amazing, and in some ways, even better than mine. She's remarkable, and I know you'll love what she has to say. So get ready. This is another great episode in the podcast. So let's get to it. But first, a word from our sponsor. No fighting. No fighting. No fighting. Hey guys, just want to talk about Anchor real quick. You know, I love Anchor so much. They've helped me so much with this podcast. It's free, and they have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your own phone or computer, and Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. So download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Really, guys, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead and go to it. It's great. Hi, yeah. Welcome. That's podcast. Thanks. I admit I'm a bit nervous. Oh, don't be nervous. You'll be fine. Welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself? So hi, everybody. My name is Francesca, 31 years old, and I'm from Central America. Nice. I asked you to be on the podcast. What would you like to tell the listeners of the Cross Yes podcast about yourself? Cross-dressing related? Is this something? Well, basically, I am I'm a full-time cross-dresser. Mostly, I guess, nowadays, it's more acceptable to say that you're trans but i guess at heart um i still have enough of a male in me you know so that full-time cross-dresser i guess best describes me and i'm also an escort okay and what do you mean by an escort uh what do you do well nowadays i basically i specialize in, in men who are overly endowed i am a bottom for them because sometimes it's hard for men like these to actually find partners that are willing to take them anally, for example. I mean, despite all, all the fantasy and, and and all that, you know, like, oh, whoa, huge dick, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not as easy or as enticing as it seems for most people. Because, like, if you don't know what you're doing, you can get hurt by an endowed man very easily. You can get anal tears. They can bottom you out. That means, basically, you know, they hit the little bends inside and it hurts a lot and yeah some of them have have trouble coming really quickly so you also have to have a certain amount of endurance 
Um, okay, let's go back. So you're an escort. What does an escort mean? <laughs> For those who I'm, I'm starting from like, no one knows what anything else is. Oh, okay. So basically, as an escort, I get paid by the hour to meet with these men and have sex with them. Sometimes they'll want to go out with me. A lot of times they just they just need to get off. And off meaning? To have sex with me and come. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. I saw some of your pictures on Facebook. You're in like the army or anything? Was that, is that true? I was going to ask you about that. Well, not really. I'm mostly just an enthusiast. Oh. I tried out for military stuff during a phase I had in early adulthood. Mm -hmm. I try it to be military because of the whole trying to be manlier thing, but it was not a good fit. Oh, why did you go manly? What did you mean by having to do manly things? Well, when I was 19, my father, my biological father came back into my life and he encouraged me to try to adopt a stereotypically masculine role in life and appearance and everything. Mm -hmm. Because he thought you were too feminine? Like, why did he require you to do that? Well, my father is a conservative, Catholic, European man. And so he was not comfortable with my femininity. He was not comfortable with me as a sex worker. So he wanted me to be a normal, stereotypical man with a career and everything. Mm -hmm. You didn't want that. Well, I, at the time I was 19 and I was in a rebellious phase, so I really embraced that. I moved into his circle. I even underwent um, some Christian conversion therapy, not the bad kind, like mostly going to a group for gay youths and that kind of stuff. Mm. A lot of prayer and being talked to. And I actually took steroids and tried to work out and eventually grew a nice beard. I grew really fat overeating and stuff and so for about five years there i was pretty masculine oh okay well you look great now as Thanks. feminine or that that's how you want to present but you look great no that, that's fine i mean I'm, I'm even on hormones and everything they're over the counter in central america oh okay very cool can you take us back to where like how did you know you were a crossdresser when did that come about we're just for most crossdressers i feel like for me i knew when i was early maybe it was like nine or ten I don't know, just being like reinforced, that sort of thing. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I actually knew when I was five, I felt the pull towards them being female a bit. Like at that time, I just lived with my mother. We lived in a really poor neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that to her and she must have seen the potential in me looking feminine and all that because she actually didn't oppose it as much. And she started mm -hmm. teaching me about being feminine, rather encouraging it, which I know is not a usual story, but in some disadvantaged countries, it can be an asset. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? Well, for context, I guess sometimes when you're in a disadvantaged country, you're not very high up on the social ladder and you're in a poor community, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's people have needs, you know, like sexual needs and being a cute little feminine boy can be useful for that and can help you get to things. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you were a crossdresser when you were younger mm -hmm. and then your mom helped you do that. Like, how did the transition to being an escort come into play? Oh, that was basically a bit of a natural thing. My mom, my mom was also a sex worker before me. And within our community, once I started looking more feminine, growing hair out, wearing more feminine clothes, some makeup, I, I got noticed by, by our landlord. And that's basically how I started. What do you mean by got started? Like, how did that start? So your mom 
was a sex worker and she introduced you to the world of, I guess, escorting. Is that what I'm called? I guess. Or sex work? Yeah, I guess it's basically, it was the world I grew up in. It is the world I've grown up in for the most part. I mean, it wasn't that unnatural to me. Mm -hmm. I was familiar in it. No, were you comfortable with it? Like, I know it's just because you're familiar with it doesn't necessarily mean you're... Well, yes and no. I mean, I was comfortable in as much as it was familiar, but it was scary, I guess, at such a young age. And not understanding a lot of things, like being desired by men... It was it was both scary and fun, which sometimes I feel guilty about saying it was fun. What do you mean by fun? I mean, I guess what's your idea of fun or not fun? Well, fun because it sometimes it seemed like a bit of a challenge and being a bit more like my mom. And I guess the biggest part was I had validation from her by getting noticed. And it also allowed us better things. Once our landlord and his son noticed me, like we even got better rooming arrangements and such. Mm. And noticed as in what did you what do you mean by notice? Well, once I got noticed, they took note of me you know, as a cute feminine boy. They started encouraging my mom to encourage me to dress up more. And this may be gruesome to the average American listener, not so much in places that have only gotten like age limits, but you know, I got encouraged to learn about sex and such and eventually when I was eleven they they had sex with me. What do you mean by sex? Does that just mean vaginal? I mean, <laughs> unless you have a vagina, <laughs> vaginal or no? I mean, when I was eleven, I was anally penetrated, and that was by the landlord. And you said his son, or was it? Mm-hmm. No, his son. Yeah. Okay. And where was your mom with all this? Um, she didn't really have a choice. I guess we could have been kicked out, et cetera, et cetera, if we hadn't really submitted. You know. Mm-hmm. So I guess she could have easily had the authorities called on her, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's rough. So does, is the cross-dressing an added element, do you think that hurts you or it helps you? I mean, it helps you with that situation, but how had that changed your life in a, in a sense? Because you were 11 at this point, right? Yeah, but I'd already been dressing with some regularity for at least six years at that point. I mean, I already was presenting feminine most of the time things like my hair having grown out by that point do you consider yourself female then or do you consider yourself just feminine do you consider yourself still a woman man presenting as a crossdresser i guess if i had to put a label on it what i would think matches me more is what people commonly call a femboy i would consider myself a feminized male and as a sex worker like are you how do i say this like i guess more attracted or or not more like are you of a higher demand because you are a femboy or is there a high demand for femboys yeah there there is a specific niche demand for um for femboys it's kind of like the same thing that happens in thailand or in the philippines foreign businessmen come over and they want that but it's kind of on the down low it's not like something very overt obviously Mm -hmm. so i have a bit of a double niche market in that sense and that helps and what's the double niche market? I know you were talking about well-endowed men, but oh, that you're also a yeah. crossdresser, or I'm sorry, a femboy. Well, yeah, basically, well, it's it matches in with well-endowed men that want the whole femboy aspect, and usually nowadays foreign businessmen and such also. But I guess I also offer certain advantages that your average 
cisgender female would not offer. For example, the fact that barring STDs, and I regularly get tested for that and take medicine for that, you know, PrEP, etc. They can also literally come in me without fear of pregnancy, you know? Right. And there's quite a lot that actually like that aspect. Of course. How do these people reach you, right? Is there like a I don't know, like a hotline that someone would call like, hey, I need this, I need this fanboy that can take a dick and ass and I can come in it and it'd be fine. Is there like, is there a Craigslist for this? Mm. Or is there like a, I don't know. Honestly, most of it is word of mouth. No pun intended. I mean, some of these businessmen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I do very little oral work now because it's like, yeah, they're a bit big, sometimes way too big to. So you're saying you don't have a gag reflex right now or your gag reflex is still too strong? No, I have very little gag reflex, but still there's um, there's no way you can take a 9-incher or a 10-incher for 10 minutes. Oh, jeez. Or at least, I don't know anyone that could do it, but I can do it in my ass. <laughs> oh, wow. No, really, like, my own personal best is taking an 11-incher an 11 for uh, for almost half an hour. Oh, my. Continuously. And, and are we oh, talking, yeah, like, girth-wise, too, is really wide? Or I, I don't know how, like, is it like a pencil? No, no, not like a pen- I would say that one was proportionate, so... I mean, it's not like I have a little ruler and I confirm it. <laughs> Although the 11, I did men- measure the 11 inch for length. I admit I needed to verify the <laughs> You had to like, let me check up. You get this. Sorry, you were saying, um, how do people find you? Yeah. I, how do people find me? Um, well, it's mostly word of mouth. I mean, most of my customers nowadays, they come from countries that aren't all that, you know, like as internet plugged as the States. Mm-hmm. I'm usually recommended by someone that was a previous customer. <laughs> you think there's like a club for these guys? Like, hey, I got a big dick. You got a big dick? Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> you're going to this country? Hey, you know so-and-so? Is that how that works? I don't know. A lot of it also works through, through chat rooms and stuff like that. Got it. And let's say I had a big dick. I don't think I do. Not Definitely not an 11 incher. But if I were to go to wherever you are, how does, how does the whole interaction work? I meet you at a hotel room and I say, I'm going to pay you this much. Or how does that work? No, I usually I already have a set rate. Like I charge a hundred dollars an hour. That's a lot of money where I live. Hundred U.S. dollars, or is it a hundred? No, it's a hundred U.S. dollars. Okay. The equivalent or the equivalent of liquid coin. But I have ways of. You can do that through Western Union. You can do it through some bank transfers. It's better in cash, though. Like I prefer cash payments. Makes sense. I do the Western Union option for very few serious clients that I've already interacted with a number of times. Gotcha. Gotcha. But for most, the cash option is better, too. Yeah, it's easier. It's less to track. I'm sure that you don't pay taxes. With I don't know if there is a tax thing with, like, sex workers. Actually, I do. Uh, I do pay taxes. But see, where I live, it's legal. What's legal? Sex work or escort services? Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the few things, one of the few progressive things about where I live. But on the other hand... It's not like my customers come from places where it's legal. So it's not like something you can put in an expense report. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get a 1099 for taking in the ass. <laughs> a what? Uh, they call it 1099 here in uh, the US. It's like a tax form. Oh. And you don't, and usually there's a, you, you have to claim, like you said, you fill it out and you would say, oh, I did this for this work or I did this for this work. And you wouldn't usually put, took it in the ass as like the miscellaneous part. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess most of these places, they don't actually have that, you know? Like, some of my customers come from um, places where being gay, for example, and what they're doing would be considered being gay is still banned. It's still illegal. You know, some of them come from places where the religious police would beat them up. Mm. You're good. 
a hundred lashes or something like that. So yeah, like I said, it's very on the down low, very discreet. You're from Central America. Your English is clearly perfect. It's better than some people here in America's English. Well, thank so you. well done, by the way. Thanks. I have a thing for languages and it helps in my line of work. So do you speak like multiple languages other than English and Central America Spanish? Did I figure it's Spanish? Um, Spanish, yeah, that would be my native language. Um, yes, as a matter of fact, I speak a few other languages. Ooh, would you, like what? I'm super interested. Like what do you? I am fully fluent in Spanish, of course, and English. I, w- I would consider myself fully fluent, if not with the best accent. I would consider myself to have a good proficiency level in Italian, and I can handle tourist German and Russian. Wow, sorry. That's super impressive. Now, do you go to school for this? Is this something you are brought up to do? I know it helps in your line of work, but how did how did that come about? Being good at languages, um, I guess it's a natural ability. My mother was the same way. She's able to talk like all those different languages. So you learn from your mom. No, 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 no. I mean, she's good at picking up languages. So it was one of the family. No, I've I've picked up like English and Spanish. I picked up from. Well, Spanish I learned, if, obviously, in my country. English I picked up from a mix of movies, people I met along the way, the internet, and customers. Mm-hmm. And Italian I picked up from my father. Oh, you're, so you're half Italian and half Spanish, seemingly? Yep, that is correct. So your picture I've seen, you have a very beautiful light skin look to you. I mean, you're, you're pretty regardless. Everyone's pretty, but... Unusually for Central America, yeah. I mean, my ancestry is fully European. Ah, so you've got that that mystique to you. Thanks. My dad's Italian. So basically another foreigner in my life. Um, My mother, there's uh, the illegitimate daughter of Spaniards that settled down in the early early, um, 1900s. So you're 31 now, and you said you started when you were 11, and you're super Mm well-educated. Did you go to school as a result? Yeah, actually, I did. I um, surprisingly have an engineering degree. Like a bachelor's? And an MBA. An MBA? Mm-hmm. Yep. I have both of those. Impressive. Now, you chose not to, I guess you're not working as an engineer? Honestly, I make far more with escorting. I did do a bit of engineering work, but back when I was living full-time as a male and trying to be straight, but honestly, female presenting is not like the best asset in a super conservative Catholic country. And um, basically, I realized that I make a lot more doing what I'm doing. I can handle my hours. And I was used to it. So, yeah. So you have an MBA. You choose sex work. I mean, you make way more money as a sex worker. Is there any regret going back to school? Or was there a reason that you went to school for it? You know, that's what everyone always says. Like, oh, why'd you go? You need to go to school and get a degree and make all this money. That was my father. I went to school because my father pressured me. Like I said, he wanted to make a man out of me. <laughs> yeah, like Mulan, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess um, I, he wanted to at least be able to tell his um, rich buddies that he'd uh, done something for his little mistake. Mm, so he considers you a mistake? Oh, yeah. Because you're not male? Or you're not presenting as a male? Because my dad comes from a really high place in society, and he got my mother pregnant mistakenly. And was that because she was a sex worker and then got her pregnant? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Basically. I see. So you were... Basically his little mistake. I doubt that. You're not a mistake. You're on the podcast, so you're doing some good. And you're clearly making many men happy. <laughs> 11 inches. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, can I ask, so you're 31 now, you work sex mm-hmm. work, because it's so, it's so daily in your life. Are you heterosexual still? I know you do it for work. 
Well, I I actually like girls also. Mm -hmm. Like, I really do. I like girls a lot, both, you know, cis and trans girls. I like women in general, too. But, like, the, obviously there's certain complications. I mean, not many girls want to date a sex worker, even if they're bi or lesbian. And then there's the fact that I admit I have de decreased function down there, especially since the hormones. Like, I was never very functional down there to begin with. Maybe because I started so early. I was only able to make normal semen until I was like, what, 13 or something like that. And I didn't even start having routine erections till 15. Mm. So I wasn't very manly to begin with. Obviously, when I took steroids, when I was trying to you know, get into the military and all that, that made me, holy crap, that made me a sex maniac for a while. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. During my manly phase, sometimes I would masturbate t 10 times wow. a day. No joke. I hated myself for that. I despised myself for that. Ugh, it was so depressing. But now with HRT, it's started going down. And especially, you know, with the sex work and everything, it's like, yeah, I can actually get fucked in the ass uh, and come from that from just from pressure without even getting hard. Mm. I'll just have this little sticky pool of clear fluid underneath my penis when I'm done. And that feels more natural to me. Mm -hmm. Do you want to undergo sexual opera i mean you know like the gender reaffirming surgery do you want to have breasts do you want to remove your penis um i'm already growing breasts as a result of hrt mm -hmm. uh now maybe one day i may have orchiectomy just so i can reduce the number of meds i'm taking but and as much as removing my penis i don't know i mean i guess i would need to build up the like I guess I'm at the point where I'm starting to not really like it there, but it's not like it's killing me there either. Mm -hmm. And like getting a vagina, yeah, it would mean at least six months to a year of recovery where I can't really do my job and dilation and everything. Like, I don't really, I'm at the point where my penis is a minor nuisance. The balls, well, they, they ruin the fit of clothing and all that. So they're basically useless. They can go, but um, I don't really need a vagina either because my ass does it all. Wow working your ass off literally literally yeah i guess my main strength is i have stamina yeah i mean you li you actually mm -hmm. literally put up with a lot of shit <laughs> you started when you were younger it sounds like when you were 20 years mm -hmm. ago you're still around today you dealt with your dad your mom and hormones and all that other stuff how was growing up for you then was it like it seems like it was stressful well, I never really had much of a childhood, I guess. Once I displayed potential as a femme, my childhood was over because after that, my mother started spending most of her time, available time, trying to, aside from school, she tried to teach me how to cook, do chores, etc. She started squeezing me into performative femininity, you know, which I guess is fine. And also things like how to walk, how to act, how to dress, how to do my hair, makeup. So sometimes I hated it. Sometimes I just wanted to be out there playing with the other kids, but I wasn't, and then spending time around adults, and once the landlord and his son got a hold of me, I was basically their little girlfriend, or boy toy, for the next eight odd years. Mm. And your mom, I mean, actively encouraged that, right? Because you were still living with them, right? As a Yeah, like if she opposed it, um, yeah, we would have been out on our asses, and she would have been in jail for um, owed rent or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's more of a survival thing, it sounded like. Yeah. But once that happened, we got a better place. Yeah, and you'd already done eight years of sex work with this same person? I mean, with that, with a landlord? Or how would she, she would send you out to men? Or men would come to her and say, I want to 
basically fuck your son or fuck your daughter. Is that how that worked? I don't know. Um, no. Okay. The way it started is the first two have sex with me were both the landlord and his son. Mm-hmm. And then with that, after a while, I was like mainly the landlord's son's plaything. So my weekends, it would be like, you know, I'd come home from school on Friday, get all doled up and go to their place. And they would mess with you and, and they, stuff. Yeah, and I would spend the rest of the week until Sunday night being with either of them. How old were they? Were they older? Like, much older? Landlord? Um, I I would guess the landlord back then was probably in his mid-30s. Oh. His son was um 15. 15? Mm-hmm, when I was 11. Wow. Yeah. But obviously, after a while, some, you know, other men wanted a piece of the action, so yeah. And they would just pay your mom a rate of, I mean, was it still $100 an hour back then? Was it 20 bucks, 30 bucks? No, actually, they would pay the landlord. I don't know how much. Oh, what? Oh, I see. So the landlord was pimping you out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And now, I mean, today, are you your own pimp, mistress? Like, do you own run your own thing? Well, boy, I'll let my mother handle the financials. It's better. It's easier for me. Hmm. So now do you just cross-dress for work? You knew you were a cross-dresser early in life, and then... It became a job because your mom found that, like, oh, I can make money off her. And so now today... Yeah, mostly it was advantageous, I guess. And it paid the bills and all that. It literally paid the rent, so... I mean, your body's taking a beating. Literally a beating from everything. I know, but, I mean, I can I can take it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're right. My listeners would probably be shocked to it. But to me, I'm just like, it sounds like survival. It sounds like what you have to deal with. Yeah. Would you be surprised if I told you that I, I easily can take five to f- ten clients a day? Your ass can, basically, right? Is what you're saying? Yep. And that's how many hours of work? Mm, it probably represents, like, I mean, when I have a full day of ten clients, yeah, that's easily 12 to 14, 15 hours of work. Wow. When I have five clients, that can easily be an eight-hour workday. No, that's, you're saying you're charging $100 an hour. Are you living well off now because you're taking so much in? <laughs> Ill. I mean, that's no pun intended, but you're like this money that you're coming in. I don't know if that is that. Well, actually, I mean, not well off, but we are, we have our needs met. And this is probably funny, but, um, or tragic to some people, but around the time that my biological father came back into my life, our landlord had a heart attack and died. And weirdly enough, he left us the house we were living in at that point. What about the son, though? Wasn't the son still around? Um, I eventually he got married, and you know he didn't look for me anymore. I lost track of him. Hmm. This will also be weird, but that's why I make a distinction between my you know biological father and stuff because um our landlord was also kind of a dad in his own little weird way. Yeah, I get that. Taught me a lot a lot about life and not letting myself get fucked over. Has he fucked you? Sorry. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, getting scammed, um, shucked and jived by people. Right. I mean, for some listeners, they would be like, this is, in, this is appalling and this is... But, like, this happens a lot. Actually, the reaction I most get from people when they aren't shocked is, you're such a bullshitter. You should write a book. You have such a great imagination. Wow. And how do you react to that? Uh, the first time it happened, I got really pissed and sad. And it happened, I was telling my story to a chick I just met, and I think she was from Britain or something, and I met her on a chat room, and I decided to tell my story. That was actually when I was still in my male face. Hmm. 
Yeah, because she said she was kinky, so I told her my life story, and she was like, "Ew, that is um such a that is the greatest load of." Um, <laughs> no, that's what she was like. You're not kinky. You're gross. <laughs> no, she was like, "That's a, an entire lie." She logged out. Never saw her again. So eventually, I learned to temper stuff. I eventually learned that people don't want to hear the ugly stuff. So in my everyday life, when I meet people, when it's not work related, I prefer to try to appear more like my biological father's daughter, try to pretend I'm a millionaire socialite. It's really easy to blend in with those people. I know. It sucks. I get it. You have to put up a facade and you have to put up this like, oh, look at me. I'm totally perfect. But a lot of us are like hurting Mm -hmm. inside because I've told you about like my, I mean, I wasn't 11. I was like 14. And I'm going to talk about this in an episode about like sexual assault and Mm -hmm. early I wasn't, it wasn't prepubescent, but it was feelings of, yo, is this shit actually happening to me right now? This isn't supposed to be like this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you felt the same way at 11. I mean, I was 14 and I'm like, what the fuck? Is this happening? Like, I, like I'm saying. So the, the nice, th- I mean, the good thing about this is that you're able to talk about it. And whether or not yeah. it ha- if people want to call you a bullshitter or whether or not people want to say, yo, man, that, that never fucking happened. Why, like, stop, just quit bullshitting yourself and squint lying to us but these are feelings that you felt and are still feeling and clearly they've affected you the way you are today i don't know if that makes sense i don't know how do you feel about that um i guess i feel fine with it i i guess my attitude is i accept my lot in life i do not wish for a different lot mm-hmm. and i am just managing it you know speaking of what you said you know the, the what you feel when that's happening to you like my first time per se i admit was horrific mostly because it hurt Despite all the previous dilation, et cetera, that I'd had. What do you mean? Prep, lube, et cetera. What do you mean previous dilation? These people knew what they were doing before um, my first time I'd been properly dilated. By them? As in, yes. Oh. But um, it still hurt to have like, an object rammed up your butt and then repeatedly shoved in and out through dick, this case. Um, it hurt. I cried. had to be held down. It was a whole thing. It was not nice i remember it vividly but i don't like to dwell on it yeah i guess i'll talk about the first time i enjoyed it and this happened mm, i want to say about two to three weeks after the first time so obviously there were other times in between with different degrees of discomfort Mm. but the first time i enjoyed it let's say it was about three weeks after the first time and that one it was actually the landlord's son that was that did me and he was basically like I don't know. How TMI can I get? Go as MI as you want to. I want as much information as you want to be able to provide. Okay. So, <laughs> Okay, so it was the landlord son that was doing me. And yeah, we, I was on his bed and getting me to suck him off and, and him jerking it a little and stuff. He, and he lubed me up and I knew to assume the position in his bed and he goes in me. And I mean, he wasn't small mm. at all. He was pretty large for a 15-year-old. I want to say he was in the 8 to 9 inch range. For a 15-year-old? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, like I said, it's not like I have an, it's not like I have a, a, a automatic dick size detector right. in my eyes. Like, eight inch alert. Yeah, but he was pretty big. I remember that. I remember maybe he may have been about what size your average water bottle, slightly shorter. Oof. I don't know. Like, but let's go with eight okay. inches. Between eight and nine inches. Yeah, the guy. He was big. And he lubed me and puts it in. At that point, I already knew to like open my ass and push out as if I was going to take a poop until it passes the inner sphincter, and then you can you can accommodate your rings. And but 
he was being gentle about it. He was gentle about it. He um he took it slowly, you know, like little thrusts, bit more in, bit more in. So it was in, and then he was just slow thrusting. And that time it didn't hurt as much. And and all of a sudden I I don't know, he shifted position some and started feeling it. Like I started feeling this little buildup of pressure inside. But it felt good. And he just slow thrusted. He wasn't like doing the whole like wanting to fuck me for all I'm worth thing. He was just slow fucking me, slow building it up, and I felt this this pressure inside me. Like I needed to pee badly but better. And, and then suddenly I had that feeling like, oh my god, why is this happening to me? I shouldn't be enjoying this, but it feels so good. Mm-hmm. Like at that moment I thought to myself, I am not really a boy anymore. Like I can't be a man. Right. And eventually like I just felt like I had to pee and I just had to and something came out of me obviously it wasn't cum per se it was mm. i would say it was a liquid like it was thicker than pee but not quite cum yet right so made a little splotch of it on his bed and it felt so good to let that go like oh my god obviously i wasn't hard or anything it just felt so good and then you know he came inside me and that felt good too mm-hmm. and he just goes off to clean himself out and leaves me there and i felt so like little goosebumps and snakes running all over my body mm. yeah that, that's what I felt like. That was the first time I enjoyed it. But it always left me with a nagging feeling like, can I really call myself a man after this? Yeah, I know that feeling. That it's almost, it's not quite shame because you kind of enjoy it. You're like, this is, but it is, I guess it is shame. But it is shame. It is shame. Like I remember after the first time, I just, I was just in pain. Mm-hmm. I felt like a sense of loss, but after the like after the first time I enjoyed it, I remember I went out on the street and I like I was looking on the ground. I was like I didn't want the other boys to see me. It's like I thought they would know. Like I was self-conscious and at the same time I also felt smug like I can do something you can't. Mm. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> Eventually, I guess it solidified into a bit of confidence and that's when I really started putting my heart into what I was doing. Yeah, and your ass into it. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> do you do you still enjoy it now that you do it five to ten times a day? Sometimes, at what point does it not become? I mean, is it, I don't know. It just seems a chore now. There's some dudes that really know how to hit it. See, that's the really good thing about prostate orgasms. Like, if somebody knows how to hit it, you just don't have a choice, which is kind of sexy in that you don't have a choice. Hmm. But for most guys, I admit that you just have to let them think that they made you happy. It seems like every single male has that little thing in him that even though they just want to get off, they still want to, I guess I would call it, they like making love to themselves and that, you know, they want to know that their boss and they and they alone could blow your mind. Mm. So they may not tell you that, they may not show you that, but it obviously helps repeat business. So you have to leave them with that feeling. Mm. But I would say I only really get, like, I only really come for about 10% of my customers. Wow. Wow. But you only find enjoyment if you come? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Oh, no. I mean, I get psychological enjoyment and validation from every single one. Mm. I guess my my biggest get-off is from the act itself. Like, I'm taking it in the ass. I am, I am doing what most women can't do. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like, I may not be a female in the chromosomic sense of the word, but I'm certainly one in the doing things way. Now, and that brings a load of validation. When you're having sex, you're dressed like mm-hmm. how? Are you dressed or you're purely naked? Or do you have like 
I don't know, do you set up like a, is there an ambiance thing you have to, do people request certain things? I don't know. You're the first sex worker I've talked to. <laughs> Uh, there's there's requests. There's men that like certain outfits. For those that don't, it's best to look like something familiar. You know, like uh, what um, your your basic um, office check would look like, or another business executive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Obviously, some of them want you to have a more casual look. Some of them want you to be all dolled up. So yeah, I do all of these. Invariably, I end up taking my clothes for a following reason. Anal sex is not a clean business, and um, I don't want to get poop on my nice clothes. Yeah, or semen. Right. Yeah, like some of them might like that, like in a spe- to take you in a special outfit. Mm-hmm. But if I can avoid it, I will. Mm. And there is, of course, weird requests, and there's, of course, the guys that get off with weird Ooh, shit. But yes. I, what, what? Let's go. Let's delve into that. I'm super interested. Those things like super interesting. What's a weird request to you? I'll start off by saying that I avoid those like the plague, even if it means losing business. Like, um, for example, the ones that want you to shit on them, pee on them. Yeah, no can do, honey. Obviously, I'll suck them off. I will lick their balls. I will not eat out their asses. That's disgusting. And I've lost business because of that, but so be it. And I will sternly mm. not fuck men. That's another thing a lot of them want, but I really don't like. So you, you won't be a top then, is what you're saying? Yeah, no. I will let them, I guess, for a little extra, I will let them lick me down there, or suck me a little bit down there, or touch me down there. That is about as far as I will stretch out my business model. Most of my requests are obviously regarding business outfits. I've been dominant, some of them not like a top, but, you know, like... um taking command a lot of powerful men like like it when you take the initiative in the bedroom Hmm. so i've done that too and a lot of them like you to be the this this one's not very talked about but i found it more common i guess maybe because of the different parts of where my customers may come from but a lot of them like you to be like sort of a bratty daughter sort of deal oh interesting huh Uh uh-huh Oh yeah, I've had quite a few that want to take you out to a restaurant to fine dining or whatever, and they want you to act like the bratty daughter. Can't just can't be pleased, and eventually submit you into pleasing you. Okay, interesting fantasy. Bratty daughter, bratty woman. They can't control. Hmm. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I know. No, it's all of this is fascinating. Nothing is shocking me. Uh, Only thing that shocked me, I guess, is that you actually wanted to talk about this, which is really cool. I mean, I'm super. Super hopeful that the listeners will learn a lot. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I guess what happens is in my line of work, I'm at, I guess I'm more in the mind games line of work than the actual sex props line of work. I guess my kind of customer is the kind that will get off mostly on the mental stuff that goes goes into it, the manipulation of mental states. Mm, okay. Some, of course, do want to take me out to dinner and stuff like that. And you go out with them sort of thing? Yeah, I'll keep them company. But if it's possible, I prefer to have sex before dinner, not after. Oh, why? Oh. Anal sex, especially with a large dick, especially one that will have more of a length of thrust, it's not a good idea if you've just eaten. <laughs> good point. There's a certain amount of suction in there. So dinner before. I mean, dinner after. If I can help it, I mean, if they really want it, I'll try to eat as light as they can, and I'll try to avoid the alcohol. Got it. So always, always be more clear-headed than your host than um, than I mean your client. 
when you're being the host. Yeah, that's a rule. So what was that? So be a clear-minded. Yeah, always keep your mind clear. Gotcha. Hmm. Do you have other sex worker friends? Is there like a like a support group for you guys, or is it just? I have other sex worker friends and other trans sex worker friends, but um, no, there's no no like support group or anything like that. I mean, it's still despite being legal, despite everything, it's still treated as a great profession. You know, like you're still liable to getting picked up by authorities who will say that you don't have your docs in order or your test results up to date, there's a whole lot of, you're still at risk. And the fact that you're trans means you're still subject to a bunch of violence, especially the less you pass. I guess I'm privileged because I pass 100% most of the time. Have you had a bad experience as a sex worker? Um, yes, I had, I had a client attack me. Ooh, what happened? I had a client. He basically wanted me to do something I refused and he actually grabbed me by the ankle and slammed me against the door and um yeah i had i had to leave in a hurry oh unfortunately that happened after he'd come and i had forgotten to charge the second half of the money because i usually like to work on a half you know half before half after basis you know half up front half after the act Hmm. so i lost my second half there but i escaped with my life and you were okay no uh, no like long term you didn't end up with like a concussion or anything or broken leg or arm uh, my wrist was sore for a couple of days but um i find that i have high pain, to- pain tolerance uh, clearly <laughs> yeah i can see that How do- actually it doesn't hurt anal doesn't hurt as much once you're used to it yeah i can see that i mean i deal with a few gi issues i'll admit um from my oh i guess from my younger days like yeah i have an irritable colon it irritates very easily and i have to take meds for that and um, I also have quite a few anal tears I acquired mm. in my first day- days. And that sometimes, like, I get constipated really easily. And if I do, I have to take something like Miralax instantly. Or like, I can't let it fester for more than a day. You know, like, the constipation, else my ass will tear. You haven't had surgeries or anything, right, for it? Or anything? With- Actually, I did. I had um, an anal dilation procedure done at some point. Huh. And not by your mom, right? It's like <laughs> no, no. I mean, like a professional one for um for the constipation and everything, and it helped with work. But you know, I have to watch my ass like that for that. That's specific to me. Got it. And how? And to speaking of watching your ass, how do you watch your safety? I know you had that terrible experience. How do you make sure you're? How do you screen these guys? If that makes sense, or how do you? Do you have like a bodyguard somewhere waiting for you? Or no, I actually carry a gun. And a knife. And a mace. Oh. Yeah, I do work armed at all times. I make sure my gun's never farther away than arm's reach. And I also, from my male days, I know quite a little bit about martial arts, if necessary. At least enough to slip away. I also know a little bit about field medicine. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, like, simple things. Putting band-aids on cuts and antiseptics. Um, setting, um setting some minor fractures, uh, you know, setting some dislocated bones, putting in some stitches and pulling, uh, like, lodged objects out of the body, that kind of stuff. Interesting. Huh. You know, I guess I can deal with that sort of thing, mm-hmm. if necessary, in a minor way. It sounds fancier than it is, but, um, but yeah, mostly I try to, I protect myself as to how do I vet them. For the most part, I really, really, really talk to my clients before the first meet. Right. Like, how much screening time do you give them? Like, do you give them a week, months in advance? Um, it depends. Obviously, I've had clients on, a, you know, I've had cl- new clients 
on a 72 hour period from recommendation to I'm going to be in your country in three days. But actually I like listening to people. I guess part of my services, I listen to them open up. Mm. They tell me their stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way of vetting someone. Once people feel like they can trust you, and they can, I mean, I will never repeat what I know. But once you're a sympathetic ear, you can find out a lot about a man. Right. And I'm not afraid to reject people to tell them they're not a good fit. Oh, interesting. You've had to reject people. Like, what is it that you felt or, I don't know. When something's off, when, I mean, it can be... Either you know they're bullshitting you or you know they're bullshitting themselves. Mm-hmm. For example, men that aren't secure about their sexuality and what they like, I usually run away from those. I've had a bad experience with that. And actually, it wasn't even with a client. It was with a friend. Oh, like what? It was from a friend that I met in my time as a dude. And once I transitioned, first he couldn't see me like a girl, then he could. Then he fell in love with me. He had sex with me. And then he turned on me in felt all shamed and like i was his ideal partner if only he could really see me as a real girl but um religion would not allow it and basically he ended up getting all christiany on me and a bit aggressive and after that i never met up with him again like he would start doing things like start messaging me in the middle of the night i wish i could just fuck you right now but i can't etc so at that point i knew he was shitting himself i was like He clearly feels guilty about it. He's not sure about what he wants. And that's usually how people like me end up getting murdered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how a lot of trans people here in America, I've talked about in the podcast, it's a lot of trans women who are murdered or things are sex workers. And and that problem is like, there's it was only like 80 people or something people, but those are the reported numbers. I talked about this in another episode, but it's like, yeah, those are the reported murders. But a lot of people don't even report transgendered people's like violence because first off they don't want to be recognized as transgender people don't know how to identify it and stuff i don't know how that is in your country but sorry oh um central america's northern triangle as it's known is the most transphobic area in the world in terms of murders even worse than russia or brazil they rank in the thousands per year Sheesh. yep i'm pretty sure that there's more dead um, trans people than um, police officers despite the high crime so it's a high risk profession if you don't know what you're doing I mean, so I really carefully vet my clients. Actually, um, yeah, like I said, I work with a tighter group of regulars more than um, you know, new clients, and I have a really high rate of rejection. Really? Oh yeah. Huh? Like rejection from from clients? They actually say no. No, no. I mean, clients that I reject uh, that I don't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, so gotcha, gotcha. I, okay, I was like, who would reject you? You're hella pretty. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously, guys that aren't into one uh, into that aren't willing to respect the boundaries. But I mean, I see myself as a as a bit of a, I guess, an exclusive product. Mm-hmm. You know, I lend a specific service, so I can do with what I with the clients I have. It's hard for me to take on new clients. I mean, they have. Right. Like I said I basically have to know them really well. I, I, I guess it's because I don't really see a client as a one-time affair. I see every client as, um, I like to develop long-lasting relationships with my clients. And how deep is your client list right now of long-term clients, would you say? Mm, not going into specifics. Uh, with, yeah, just round number, doesn't matter. I have about a, I have about 20 regulars. Wow. 
And those are international like people that come in and say, Hey, I need to spend time with you. Is that internationals and locals, but mostly international. Yeah. And then I would say that I have about twice as many incidentals, like people that I've been with less than five times and they may eventually develop into regulars, but I'm not sure. Interesting. Hmm. And what's your longest lasting client? Like 10 years, five years? My longest lasting client was actually someone that, that I serviced as a teenager. Then I found them years later, you know, and I still do. Wow. So that's like 15 years easily. Mm -hmm. So that's so someone you met as a teenager and you still service them now. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, I, I bumped into them later and they became fine again. Wow. Mm. The legalization of sex workers at um, in your country. Now, was that like fought for by people or they just wanted to tax you somehow because you guys were making so much money? How did that come about? No, it was basically, it's basically a leftover, surprisingly, from super conservative days at the beginning of the 20th century when, um, you know, it was just, it was, I guess somebody thought it was a good idea to keep it controlled. Right. Like, basically create a sex worker registry to know who was doing it. And it stayed. It stayed on the books. Like, actually, some um, conservative groups are fighting to get such things outlawed now. Progress backwards. <laughs> Uh, yeah are you on a list then somewhere francesca's somewhere on the yep sex registry list mm -hmm. and they bet this is super interesting to me so especially coming from the medical field so there's a, a database with your diseases or with your like blood type and that sort of thing um you have to get get tested and renew your um sort of certification so to speak every six months interesting which as you probably figured out leads to a lot of illegal sex work because a lot of people won't do it can't do it don't know about it don't have the money to hmm. gotcha but you're doing it legally because you're paying taxes correct yep but there's no like there's no zone for this right there's no area of like how Amsterdam has the red light district. Um, there's an unofficial red light district, but I that it's also a high crime district, and I don't work there. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mainly prefer to work in the business district, so to speak. That's where the hotels are, the fancy ones. So you meet them in a hotel. You meet your clients in a hotel, not at your place, not at. Well, most of the time, I mean, I am very convenient. I drive to them just because um, my country has high traffic, so. I prefer to drive to them. And yes, that's an additional cost and time for me, but it works out well for them, seeing as they have tight schedules. Most of the time, I mean, businessmen don't really come to the country for fun. A lot of the time they come for resources for for business. So um, yeah, it's very convenient to meet them at their hotels maybe once they're, um, once they're done for the day and just tired or before they get ready for the day and they, they want a little power send off. Gotcha. So your your normal hours of work are like 9 p.m. to the morning time then? Uh, no, I actually work a lot during the day. Like I actually, I'm not a very big sleeper, to be honest. I usually can get by with three, four hours of sleep, and I do. So, um, yeah, sometimes I've gone up at 5 a.m. to be ready for a 7 p.m., 7 a.m. appointment. Now some dude wants um, a little wow. something before he goes off to his meeting. And you also have to contend with jet lag. Maybe these guys, you know, they're horny um, where they live at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., you know, but their clock's turned over. So basically, I, I will work almost any hour that um, a client wants, except, you know, maybe usually my no-no hours are from um, 
well, not no, no, but usually hours where I'll sleep are from like say two, three a.m. to um, you know, eight a.m. something like that. So gotcha. Unless I'm like out for the night, like a client pays for, uh, pays for me to spend a night with him. Mm-hmm. A night for me is usually uh, if they want the night packages, it means about eight hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. But for eight hours, I obviously do offer a discount. I love that there's a pay package. This is great. This is super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, for a night, I will um, only charge 600 Instead of, it would cost eight individual hours, it would cost them 800 I do 600 Hmm. Yeah. Now, you don't ever want to... You never develop, like, I guess... I don't know if you've ever seen Pretty Woman, but like, do you develop a, a relationship with these people and more than just sexual? Like, Yes, I've seen Pretty Woman and I <laughs> knew you were going to ask that. Um, actually, yes, it's happened. Mm. It's not supposed to. Like, um, I try to keep that to minimum, but it's happened. Like I said, I try to keep most of these. Like, I like to make it a long-term relationship, but a, a friendly one. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna say, first time it happened was obviously with um with the landlord's son. I fell in love. Oh. With him. I did. I fell in love with him. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him as a girl. And once he got with the with the cis girl, got her pregnant, got married. Yeah, he hurt me. It hurt a lot. When did you fall in love with him? Somewhere during teenage. I mean, uh, I guess it's because he is um. You know, like, um, his dad fucked me, but not as much. And after a while, he he mostly moved on to people more his age, I guess. But, it, um, so he was mainly the one I was having sex with, the son, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess that's one, because he was a bit more gentle than dad. The dad was nice to me, you know, as a person, but, but he was mostly the grunt, 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 fuck, 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 I came. Okay, you can go now, sort mm. of sort of man hmm. so yeah I mean that was the first time I actually developed feelings for a client and um, it's happened and has it happened like lately or is it you're just over it now and you just keep it no it's happened lately and I'm just trying to keep it managed oh, what, what, what makes you develop feelings for somebody in a, in a sex dominated kind of work feel work force I don't know that sort of thing yeah well, it's actually a very big possibility and a very big danger for me, seeing as um, how I like to develop, like, I like to talk to them, listen to them, etc. Mm-hmm. I have, a, that's a flaw in me. I get very easily involved. I start caring. And um, I guess when someone has something interesting about them, or when they're smart, um, intelligence is a bit of a kryptonite. <laughs> for me, yeah. Same here. I'm super interested because you're just super, you sound super smart. Um, if I weren't in a relationship, I'd be like, where you been? <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a big dick though, my problem. But, um, big dick isn't actually a requirement. Big dick is something I'm really good at, but, gotcha. um, yeah, I would, I would never look down on a man. Like, it's not actually, I, I specialize in it, but I wouldn't reject a client just because he has small ones. Oh. Cool. Interesting. But my talents are wasted on a smaller man, I admit that. Because it's like, <laughs> to an average man, I'm just an ordinary fuck. Actually, maybe even less, because I'm, I am not used to doing more, to being more flexible about kinky stuff. Say, for example, with a, an average man, I would probably be able to do oral on him, but I'm out of practice with oral. 
Mm, okay. Like for for me, oral is somehow stuffing the head in there and uh, working on the head with my tongue and mm. hands on the shaft. So yeah. You say you manage your relationships with this like client. Would you ever want to ever stop being a sex worker and just being if a if a client said let's just like whisk you away sort of thing? Because I had, I mean, like maybe a year and a half ago after I'd broken up with my girlfriend, like I'd talked to, Bobby was getting catfished, but so, and I'll talk about this in the podcast. Some dude really wanted to like be with me and stuff. And like, he said he'd pay for my surgeries and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I guess so. But it didn't work out because they stopped talking. But would you ever consider that? Or? Yeah, yes, I would. It's obviously the dream. <laughs> and that's the reason why I won't allow myself to dream it. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things, the way I see it, it's like, if it happens, awesome, but I'm not going to think about it or dream about it because the way I do, I may start losing focus. I may start wanting to look for that in every client, or at least in this one client, I might scare him away. Mm. And right now, I'm not yet at that stage where I can afford to get out of it. Not by a long shot. Like, yeah. Yeah, I still have resp- enough responsibilities in life that I need this income for a bit more. Yeah. I mean, what's your, um, what is your ultimate goal as a, I don't know, just as you as Francesca, like you see doing this for like another five, 20 years, or do you want to just, I don't know. What do you, what do you see? Yourself? Actually, I want to be wrapped up by 40 because I know I'm not going to be able to keep my reasonable young looks, but like, I guess looks are a bit of an asset and that I look far younger than I am. So in my case, it's very easy for a client to believe that I'm like 23, 24. Yeah, you look like, I was going to say, you're. I thought you were like 20 <laughs> when you contacted me. I was like, oh, she's young. And then you told me 31, I was like, no, no. Yeah, even as a teenager, I always looked um, at least two to three years younger. Mm. That's always been an asset for me. But um, I guess... I don't really expect myself to be able to keep this up, up past 40, so. Mm. I mean, I have one of several possible goals. Like, I've dreamt of becoming a model. Oh, yeah. Maybe even developing my own fashion line. Nice. Yeah, because I'm good at designing clothes. Like, I actually design my own clothes a lot of the time, and shoes especially. Oh. So that's one of the dreams, you know, like, have enough capital to jumpstart it, and if not, get into real estate. Hmm. Flip houses, basically. Mm-hmm. I guess I can see a little bit of my teenage roots in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Renting houses, flipping houses, yeah. <laughs> Seems like I would have come full circle. Yeah, <laughs> right. In your ideal world, as a, I like asking all my guests this, like, where do you like to see like gender and sex and how would that, I don't know would be would the world be a better place if you could if you had that ideal world Mm, i mean i guess my approach in life my own personal approach is a bit of a live and not live like we don't need to put labels on everything if people want to be whatever gender they want to be you know like so be it i guess i don't that's mostly my approach in the world and i realize that's basically an antiquated approach by now you know like we live in this modern world where if you don't completely agree with someone else, you get permanent banned, blocked, etc. But it doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to be this way. I mean, I grew up in the 90s. I'm still very much a kid of the 90s. And in the 90s, we used to have, a, like, I feel real tolerance. 
maybe it was not perfect it was not complete but it was a saner approach like you know live and let live you know like whatever makes you happy whatever floats your boat and that's how i view the world you know mm-hmm. i have no business telling someone else what they should and shouldn't be and i mean for me i am certain that however i may feel about my gender inside I interact with the world better as a woman. So I don't complicate it. I don't make it complicated for anyone else or for me. I just, I accept he, um, she, her pronouns. And that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. When I finally, like, you know, when I, when I finally get to legally do the, the gender change itself, um, it's going to read F. And that's it. That works for me. Hmm. Yeah, I was saying that, you know, when I, when I get to doing the gender change, it's going to read F. I'm going to read female on my document. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the simpler way. I prefer simplicity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you're clearly very interesting. <laughs> like, I'm super just, like, enthralled by everything you're saying. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, at this point, I spend most of my day as a female, and... I only really get back to my male pajamas when I get home. Mm. So basically, it's almost like being a girl that just wears the boyfriend's pajamas when she gets home. Mm. Do you ever get, I guess, because, I don't know, I'm, in a, I'm lucky to be in a relationship. Do you ever just get lonely and just sad? I mean, I don't know, everyone does, but how do you deal with that? Or uh, maybe you just have so many clients and you're just having sex with them, I don't know. I do get lonely. I was in a relationship at some point um, recently. Oh, really? It did not work out. It did not work out for a million reasons. Mm. With a girl or with a guy? With a girl. Oh. A cisgendered girl or was she? A cis girl, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it didn't didn't work out, so. How did you you meet her? I mean... It was an online relationship, and um, it eventually became a real-life relationship. Oh. Long distance became short distance. Short distance became um, disagreements and contempt, and um, she really couldn't handle my work from close by as much as she thought she could. Mm. It interfered, and, you know, um, we amicably split. I may go back to her if this ends early. Hmm. It's really a toss-up, like, what, what my romantic life's going to be. Um, basically, um, what was I going to say? I forgot. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> when I get lonely, I mostly talk to friends, I guess. Again, my, another of my good skills is I'm a good listener, so I'm really good at listening to people's um, problems. Their woes, worries, what they like, what they don't, what they feel. You know, it's... Yeah. I guess that's how I compensate. Mm. It's just like having a relationship minus the sex, but I got the sex elsewhere. So yeah, between those two, I almost have a complete working relationship. Gotcha. Mm. Man. Life. <laughs> um, uh, but thank you for being on the podcast, Francesca. Um, thank, thank you for the chat. Yeah, I'm so glad that the listeners could learn a little bit more about you because you're hella interesting. This is like the most interesting, one of the more interesting podcast episodes for sure. Thanks. I mean it. It's my honor. <laughs> All right. Well, get some rest. It's late here too. Um, and thank you.
Thank you. All okay, right. So have a great night. Hey, you too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was this week's episode of the Cross the Ass podcast. In this week's episode, I talked to Francesca, a trans sex worker from Central America. This episode was NSFW, and we got down and dirty about the obvious talk about sex work. Francesca and I talked about a bunch of things, about her sex work, how her clients meet her, and she even talked about penises and her ability to take penises. The difficulty living in a Catholic conservative country can be difficult for a sex worker as well, and we even talked about that. We talked about hormones and steroids and a whole bunch of other stuff. You can throw all sorts of judgment out there that you want, but survival is the name of the game in most of the world, and you'll do what you can do to survive. To some of you, this is tragic, but to Francesca, well, this is her life. I hope you guys take away a lot from our talk uh, and to show you that we shouldn't judge those until we hear them out or, you know, don't judge them at all. Uh, Francesca and her mom do what they can do to survive and they utilize their assets, if you will. We talked about a lot. I don't know what to talk about next week, but I hope you guys tune in. Thank you again for listening. Uh, This is Across the Ass Podcast. As always, remember, keep it fresh, stay blessed, and remember, you're gorgeous. This is perfection. No fighting, no fighting, no fighting, no fighting. No fighting. Again, guys, I am not here to diagnose or treat anything, but I'm here to offer my story. I hope that in turn you learn more about me, learn more about yourself, and about the world of cross-dressing.